Amazon posted third quarter profits that were three times more than a year ago, despite spending billions of dollars in coronavirus-related costs. Is the retail giant simply going to take over the world? I'm Roger Chang. This is your Daily Charge. With me is Daily Charge vet and Amazon expert, Ben Fox Rubin. Welcome, Ben. Hello. So, Ben, this is before we get started on Amazon. This is your final episode. Uh, you're, you're leaving journalism and you're moving on to the richer pastures of the public relations world over at MasterCard. Uh, but I just wanted to know that Ben is not just any Daily Charge veteran. He, BBG and I, started this podcast more than four years ago. Uh, and he's been through us, he's been with us through all these different iterations when we were on audio only to YouTube to a big YouTube show with a set back to audio. Uh, you've been you've been around, you stuck through it all. So Ben, thank you very much for you know being a big part of the show. And you know, we're gonna miss you, kind of. I'll take sort it. Of. I'll take I'm sure it. Ben'll miss or Brian will miss you, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sad to leave. You know, there's a time of transition at CNET, as people know. And, you know, I kind of decided it was time for me. But yeah, it's been, I mean, like six years went by really fast. Related to the podcast specifically, the one thing that I didn't really expect, and that was like the best part of it, it, like now that we've done it, was... You know, all the folks that I would say we like we all became friends with that became regulars, loyal listeners and um, they kept coming back for like years. And that was like really like the most enjoyable and fulfilling part where, you know, the podcast became this conversation with a broader audience of people that we didn't really know before that we weren't really interacting with as directly um, and, and I thought that was really cool. That was what really kept me coming back and what, it, what was like super fun, especially when we were doing it live before the quarantine. Um, and that people would, you know, posit questions to us and we would kind of, you know, just chat, chat about tech stuff. You know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And people would, you know, throw their questions out there. So yeah, that was, that was really cool. Definitely. Uh, and before we, we get into reminiscing too much, cause I want to get into that. Give you give you your platform as your as your final episode. Uh, I did want to tap into your Amazon expertise one last time, and so get your thoughts on what Amazon is going to look like in twenty twenty one. Because you know, last night obviously posted huge profits again. You know, the coronavirus. Um, I don't want to say it's it well, it is benefiting from the lockdown environment. It is benefiting. Um, so, what do you see happening with with Amazon next year, especially as hopefully. You know, we we get out of this lockdown that we, we finally figure out a way to to you know safely go out and about and and social distancing is hopefully a thing of the past. I mean, I can't even imagine. Hopefully, I that's that's crazy to think about. I, it's hard yeah. for me to imagine. It's hard for me to imagine too. Yeah. So so related related specifically to Amazon, a lot of these trends that you're discussing that uh, we saw in the three Q earnings. Were, were trends that already existed, but then got accelerated and you know pushed into hyperspeed during the quarantine, during the pandemic. So, you know, people had already been migrating more toward online. Now they're doing it a hell of a lot more than they used to, especially, you know, older shoppers that maybe were more set into specific habits that were willing to try online grocery more for the first time and then said, hey, this is actually pretty great. Plus, I feel a lot safer doing this. So why don't I just keep doing this even post? 
post-quarantine. That's that's what a lot of expectations are, is that um, online grocery, online shopping, they, they were already getting millions more customers, and now that's going to happen more often. What that means to traditional retailers is, is that dozens of them even more went into bankruptcy protection this year. They were already hurting. Malls were already seeing less foot traffic. Again, that accelerated. So what what are we going to see in 2021 and beyond are, you know, fewer stores. My expectation is, is that the stores that are going to be available are going to be much more experientially focused. And, you know, there's going to be like more more focus on restaurants or like think of like the Crayola uh, place that you take your kids to. That's what more malls are going to look like, where you're going to go there because it's more like Sesame Place or, you know, Disneyland or something. You know what I mean? As opposed to, you know, a clothing store. Uh, We've seen it on our main streets a lot of the time where like a bookstore or a clothing store or a frame shop or hardware store really struggles to survive. But hey, there's a really great pizzeria or there's a really great bar those are going to do much better because Amazon doesn't really directly and online also doesn't really directly compete with them as much. Uh, so it's been really amazing to see a lot of small businesses, a lot of mom and pops really uh, kind of transition and adapt to the quarantine. They're going to have to take all of those lessons that they've learned and and try to try to make make like going out again. Um, you know, really worthwhile to people, I would say. I, I mean, like they're going to get a huge bump after the quarantines end, but how are you going to get people to keep going years and years, decades and decades afterwards? It's going to keep getting more difficult. Yeah. So, I mean, what you're seeing, saying is essentially that this coronavirus, this isn't, this isn't just a one-time phenomenon. These, this will have fundamental structural changes to how we shop, right? How could it not? You don't have something like, you know, this is a once in a hundred year type of situation and it's existed for most of the year. You do not go back to normal afterwards. Whatever you considered to be normal beforehand will no longer exist. And that is a little scary and that's a little frightening, but that's also the truth. And some of it's going to be a good thing, but to assume that you know, office environments are going to be the exact same way that they used to be, or, you know, public interactions. I was curious to find out if in a future CES, obviously CES in 2021 is going to be virtual, but CES 2022, are people going to shake hands? Are they like, because if I go to CES 2022 in my new life with MasterCard, I don't really want to shake people's hands. It's not really like a social construct that I was you know, all four in the first place. And I didn't want to insult people. So I did it. But, um, you know, like small things and big things uh, are, are really going to impact people. I write about it from the retail perspective because everybody shops, everybody spends money, but you're going to see it uh, really echo in a lot of different places, a lot of places that people might not realize right now. What And what about with, with grocery stores? You talked about online grocers you know, doing really well during the pandemic. They're obviously, they're a bit of a premium. Like I've noticed my my budget has, for food has gone up uh, quite a bit as I've used a lot of these you know, Instacart online services. Um, granted, I'm not spending anything on anything else. So there's there's that trade-off. But, uh, you know, as we go back to normal, uh, specifically with Amazon, because they've invested in Whole Foods, is that, do you see that trend uh, sticking with, with more online orders or, um, or will people go back to the grocery stores to, to shop? And what, where does that, what does that mean for Amazon? Okay. So uh, I wrote a story about this a couple of months ago using um, uh, a small 
data company called Earnest. And uh, grocery, online grocery saw a huge bump up this year, but you still wouldn't even, it's like you hardly even notice compared to overall grocery because grocery in the United States is like something like a trillion dollar annual business. So it's still going to take a long time for online grocery to really take off and become significantly mainstream. But this year, push them several years into the future. So I, I still go to the grocery store. Uh, I'm sure you know most people, most people, the data shows still go to the grocery store. But online grocery will become much more critical in the future. It's going to be much less of a niche than it has been where it was like 1%, 3%. It's going to keep ticking up there. Related to Amazon, they are looking, in my opinion, to be pretty savvy, having purchased Whole Foods when they did before the antitrust like hammer really started to come down uh, because they'll be able to utilize Whole Foods and their new Amazon grocery brand, Amazon Fresh, um, as a way to really like push into grocery because it's such a huge business. So whether that's going to be in store or online, it's just going to help them continue to like grow their business and also fight against Walmart, who's one of their biggest competitors. Beth Lemmy, and you talked about uh, government scrutiny over these tech, big tech companies. Uh, you know, a lot of the attention, you know, we just saw the congressional hearing this week is around social media with Facebook and Twitter and, and Google. Um, but you know, Amazon has not escaped scrutiny. Amazon was part of that big huddle of big tech executives over the summer. What do you think happens with uh, government? And, and will there be regulations that directly affect Amazon? Or is a lot of the focus still going to be on, on social media and sort of the content of these platforms? Right. So generally, my opinion, my my perspective on that, that, I, that I've said has been something has to come out of this because you don't get this level of scrutiny without some level of regulation. And I continue to believe that. But I uh, remain pretty skeptical that um, Congress is going to get their act together to actually do something with some serious teeth on it. The Europeans probably will. They already have. Um, but you know, it's one thing to have a congressional hearing where you're you're browbeating Jack Dorsey uh, over a Zoom call. It's another one entirely to actually do the work, sit down and figure out the nuts and bolts of like what's actually fair here and what do we want to change. So do I think Section 230 is going to get thrown out? Probably not. Is Facebook going to get broken up? I mean, I think they should get broken up, but they probably won't get broken up. So... It's This is something that's going to go on for years and years. But what actually came out of the Microsoft stuff? There were some additional guardrails that were put in place. A lot of regulators specifically said, you know, this helped for the creation of, of like a new tech guard. But Microsoft continues to be one of the biggest companies in the world. They're one of the highest valued companies in the world. So I, I don't know. I'm not trying to sound negative about it. It's just realistically... Are they are they really gonna like go and like beat the hell out of these tech companies? I I don't I don't think so. But like they and they should be regulating them more. So any step in that direction is positive in my opinion. But uh, I I just I don't see Congress really figuring it out very well. And this is this is a complicated area for them too. They've they've shown that during the congressional hearings that a lot of these um these members of Congress, a lot of these lawmakers seem to be pretty um ignorant when it comes to like how these businesses operate. Right, for sure. Uh, so, all right, let's, let's switch gears. Let's, let's talk about your illustrious 
six-year tenure here at CNET, uh, or more than six years. Uh, why don't you share, what, what are some of the favorite stories that you've written here while at CNET? So when I, when I look back, um, you know, and by the way, thanks for letting me do this. Uh, but when I look back, I, I like kind of think about the early days of like Alexa. And that was like really fun and exciting to cover because like I noticed that it was going to be a significant new platform pretty early on, just a couple of years ago. And it's been really interesting to see it change and proliferate. And I remember I wrote a story about the Alexa economy. Basically, there were a bunch of these, you know, pro-am developers that were trying to figure out a way to make money off of this damn thing when there really wasn't like a good way to do it yet. And it was just kind of like early days of internet in a small way type of situation, which is fun to get to talk to those developers, talk about their passions, why they were interested in it, why they were interested in kicking around, you know, a new platform. And that was just kind of fun that they just, some of them did it just for the passion and the love of the tech. Uh, So I thought that was really cool. And it was fun to get to talk to them. It was fun to get to write about it. And it was good to just highlight to Amazon too, that like, hey, there are all these people that are super passionate about this thing. Maybe you should try to help them make more money off of this. Not for nothing, but like they're putting a lot of work in here and like they're not paying the bills selling t-shirts off of this like unknown app. (laughs) So that was was one. Um, I'm also really, really proud of the work that like I've been part of and that CNET's done related to um, workplace issues at Amazon. Uh, Amazon warehouses do need to get cleaned up. We've definitely highlighted and identified a handful of those issues. You know, I'm proud of the work that we've done to, you know, give some of those folks a voice. Some of the people that I've spoken to, um, you know, were, were very reluctant and intimidated to come forward. And I feel like we did a good job to provide them a platform and to speak up because like, obviously people like Jeff Bezos, you know, reporters will like write about every single thing that comes out of his mouth. Whereas, you know, some, some, you know, couple like that's having a workers comp problem, uh, out in the Midwest. Yeah. That's why reporters exist. And that's why I'm like happy. We, we provided them a platform to really, you know, write those stories and try to, you know, speak truth to power as it were to, uh, to elevate the needs of those workers. Cause there are hundreds of thousands of them and they, and they definitely deserve those protections. They deserve reporters to, 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 to pay attention to their stories. And lastly, and this is more selfishly is that, you know, it's just been fun and exciting to write, you know, a lot of the international stories that I've gotten to do. And I realize how lucky I am that those opportunities don't exist as much as they should in journalism these days. And CNET's been an amazing place uh, for, for providing me with those opportunities. I've been to Israel and the West Bank, uh, Berlin, Barcelona, India this year in February, um, Greece, so there were just a, like a lot of amazing things that I got to do. And I never traveled internationally as a reporter before I started working here. So, you know, that's that's a credit to you and Connie for sure. Well, I definitely want to – I was hoping you could share that the Greece story one more time. I know you've shared it around <laughs> the newsroom tons of times. But, uh, the, yeah, you there was, a, there was a bit of incident when you were in Greece doing some reporting on – Jeez, um, I can't even remember the 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 anarchists uh, in, in Greece. Talk a little bit about what happened out there. Right. Yeah. And and I have told this story a lot, but 
people people should people should recognize that it's like my one true war story as a reporter. So I, I have to I have to hold on to it so so tightly. So you'll excuse me if I if I tell it too many times. But but yeah, we were in we were in an anarchist neighborhood in Nixaria writing about the refugee crisis from a from a tech perspective, like basically how Syrian refugees were using their phones to access you know information, food, staying in touch with their families, things like that. And uh, we had heard that there were a bunch of like refugee squats, you know, basically legal housing for refugees in Ixaria because, you know, the police don't really go there. It's, it's, you know, kind of this rough and tumble neighborhood. So we went there. It was me, James Martin and Rich Nieva. And, uh, you know, we took a cab out there. There was a bunch of graffiti there. It had like a really like bohemian vibe. And we were just like stomping around, didn't think much of it, just having just like bumping into people and talking to them and asking them where the squats were. And like, we're, we're already like raising concerns that we weren't realizing, but like afterwards we realized there were some pretty obvious red flags that they were like, what, what are you guys doing asking questions around here? Uh, toward the end of the day, it was still bright out at 4 p.m., um, you know, somebody, somebody comes up to us. It was, it was this woman that had knew, that had seen us earlier in the day. She goes and she points, to, she points us out and, uh, called over her buddies. And we're all of a sudden, the three of us cornered in the middle of the street in broad daylight, getting yelled at for being journalists. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, like, hey, we write about tablets. Like, you got the wrong guys here. Like, we're just here and we want to learn about the great works that you guys are doing. Some dude literally comes over with like half a chair. Like he's like wielding half a chair and he's like, what's going on here? And we're like, it's cool. <laughs> it's cool. So um, what ended up there, we thought we had extricated ourselves from that situation and we're walking away when one of them spits on Rich and then Rich turns around and he goes, no spitting. And then out of nowhere, this guy slaps me clear across the face and I run and I'm just, and he's chasing me and he's like, get out of Ixaria. And he's chasing me. And then like once once the chase ends, I'm like frantically trying to call James and Rich to make sure they're OK because they ran in a different direction. So did you did you leave Rich and James by themselves? Yes, they ran. They, it just was complete pandemonium. They ran in a different direction. And it just like things things got very hectic very suddenly. I almost ran into a motorcycle on my way to get the hell out of there. And I was like literally like, holy shit. I hope they're okay. And we ended up, they were, they were totally fine. But, you know, Rich, no, James got punched a bunch of times and they stole his equipment. Um, so they punched, they grabbed his backpack and they punched him in the back of the head until he let go of his equipment, his like camera equipment and stuff. Either way, I was able to reconnect with them and we connected at a police station nearby. And this is where I called you, Roger, and I'll let you take over from there. I do. I remember this call. It was a Saturday morning, I believe, my time. And I, I, I do distinctly remember the call because uh, you were panicked, as you should be. Uh, as, as you were, you were, you were, you were panicked. You were frantic. Um, you know, you you very well. You know, you were very. I give you credit because you you told the story very well in your sort of adrenaline high state. So you 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 gave me a good rundown. <laughs> But then you kind of went the extra. Still a reporter. You still went the extra step, and you 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 demanded that I call the U.S. embassy, right. scramble the U.S. military because 
Those anarchists <laughs> could not be messing around with Ben Fox Rubin. And I was, I just remember, We're American reporters. Yeah, I, how I, could I, they? I just I distinctly remember spending the next 15, 20 minutes sort of talking you down a bit. We obviously we have protocols for this, uh, and, and we, we have a process in place. We we did obviously alerted folks to offer support, but um, none of it required military intervention. Uh, <laughs> but and yeah, we finished it was, our reporting. And we you got, to your reporting. credit, to your credit. I mean, I think we gave you. We we said like to take a day and just like don't work, do something, take your mind off of it. But to to your credit, to uh, Rich and James' credit, you know, you guys finished up the trip. You had uh, even though some a bunch of the stuff was stolen, you guys had uh, amazing, amazing assets coming back in terms of stories, photos, video, and it made for uh, really one of the the best packages we we've ever put out there and seen it. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy and quite unexpected. And I took some some important learnings, obviously, out of that uh, as far as you know. Don't if, get slapped. Yeah, I mean, like, look, it, it's all so obvious in retrospect. But you know, if you're walking around in somebody else's neighborhood in in a in a city that's not yours in in a in in a country that's not yours, um, you know, tread lightly. Uh, and, and I think we were, we were in Europe and we were like, this is, this is no big deal or whatever. And we should have been a little more careful. Um, and you know, that was, that was James and I were in India and we were going in and out of slums back in February. And we, we used that experience. I mean, like some of this stuff, you really learn it from doing it. And we use that experience to just be just be a little bit more mindful of the fact that like, hey, we we do not look like we belong here. So let's just be very respectful and, you know, move move along accordingly, provide as much, you know, uh, respect and and kind of kind of breath as possible. We also had like a, a fixer with us, you know, somebody to help with translating and help us guide through. Um, so, so there were, there were a bunch of like really useful things that we took from that Greece experience, which wasn't a great one, but, uh, that, that, you know, we had some positive learnings from, I mean, like James got to do some really interesting reporting after that too, where he was in Brazilian rainforest, um, rich, he and Dara. Yeah. Like they went, they went to Africa. So, so they, there were definitely like some like great institutional knowledge that was benefited from us getting jumped in Greece. (laughs) There you go. Uh, well, before I let you go, anything, uh, I think anything you wish you could have done as a reporter CNET, any, any, any bucket list items left unchecked? So what's really great um, about having worked here is is that there are so few bucket list items that I feel, um, and, and that's a huge positive to like you, Roger, being my editor, and to Connie and like the team that you know I feel like it's it, it's been such a, an amazing experience being at CNET, and uh, it went by too fast. Maybe I could have written a book. Maybe I could have interviewed Jeff Bezos, but like from what you're hearing from my conversation, like it wasn't really the top of my list to interview him. The guy, frankly, repeats himself a lot. He's kind of like interviewing a politician. So was I really going to get something new out of him? I mean, like I could have could have given it a shot, I guess. But um, it wasn't like he gets so much attention anyway. I really I personally like the idea of trying to focus on the areas, you know, the little guy uh, much more that I did try to focus on. So, but, but yeah, the Bezos interview might've been interesting. 
maybe write a book about God knows what, maybe Alexa. But beyond that, I mean, like there was there was a lot uh, that I got to do that a lot of my colleagues got to do that I, I, I've been really proud and impressed with the type of work that um, the news team, the video team, you know, BVG included uh, have, have done over the past six years. I mean, like it's been pretty awesome and, you know, kind of like moving into this transition to like the new new world order. Um, I'm sure it's going to be like more of the same, I hope, as far as as far as like really continuing to do awesome work and the antitrust stuff is going to be an important area to like really put that scrutiny and that, um, you know, that that level of like really good explanation uh, to work. All right. Well, Ben, thank you for time. Thank you for your your work over the last six years. I give you a lot of grief, as you know, um, but I do really respect you as a journalist and I I wish you all the best on your uh, your next adventure at MasterCard. Uh, although, don't pitch me ever. Um, <laughs> if I do see you at CS in twenty twenty two, I will expect a handshake at least. I don't know how awkward that is for you now. now that you get a hug. You get a hug, and hopefully, see, I can that, get myself invited to the party. That, so. that gets that, that gets awkward for me if it's a hug, um, and I might have to rescind that CNET party invite. We'll you've been see. warned. You've been warned well a year ahead of time. So, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's been it's been really awesome, and um, you know, thanks thanks for hiring me six years ago. Uh, so. Uh, I, I was previously working at the wall street journal and I was on the breaking news desk for two and a half years, waking up at like four in the morning. So I can, I can very comfortably say that this was a much better experience as far as a, uh, you know, journalistic endeavor. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that you can read all of Ben's older stories on CNET.com. I do recommend them, particularly the, the Greece story, the India story. Those are the two highlights for me. Uh, if you have any questions about them, well, he won't be around to answer it, but you can always hit us up on Twitter at The Daily Charge, or you can send me a text message by signing up at 646-461-4291. Also, please subscribe and rate the show if you liked it. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening.